Hi, this is Mason Fioli, and you're listening to the Friars on the Farm podcast. Mason Fioli was selected in the 11th round by the Padres out of the University of Connecticut, where he had just completed his junior year. Born in Wakefield, Rhode Island, Mason went to Prout High School. During his stellar collegiate career, he was... He was selected to pitch in the 2018 USA Baseball Collegiate National Team. The ABCA Rawlings Third Team All-American, Collegiate Baseball First Team All-American, Baseball America Third Team All-American, ABCA Rawlings All-Region First Team, First Team American Athletic Conference. Dude, now he's a member of the Padres organization, and we're happy to have him on the Friars on the Farm podcast. Welcome, Mason. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited. I'm excited. All right, you're so badass. I want to start back in high school. Um, you won pretty much every award on the list back in high school. You had a really solid high school career. Um, it sounds like you were getting some looks from MLB scouts at the time. Uh, were you disappointed that you didn't get drafted? Um, it wasn't too much disappointed as, as much as it was uh, an open door for me to know exactly that I had a, a path to go to UConn. Um, high school was awesome. I was really lucky to play for uh, an unbelievable high school coach that I'm, I'm still close with today. Um, he was part of the Expos organization for a little while, um, but he taught me how to work, how to compete, and um, I loved going to school uh, there. It was kind of by the beach and private Catholic high school, um, 100 kids in my graduating class, and um, and for the state of Rhode Island, it was that was really cool because it was a small school that we kind of, uh, we had some good baseball teams and kind of got to put those that school on the map a little bit, um, but yeah, high school experience is great, and um, while you can be a little bitter of a 17-year-old that didn't get drafted, and um, uh, at the same time, uh, you know in your heart that you're working really hard, and that one day that it will happen. So um, it was awesome. I, I guess that's kind of a humbling moment. Dude. But I mean, so I'm surprised that that school was so small because you guys almost won state one year, didn't you? Yeah. So uh, before I had got there, the reason I had went there, my cousin David, uh, who had played D3 ball in New Hampshire. Uh, he transferred from the biggest like athletic school in Rhode Island called Hendrickon, Bishop Hendrickon High School. Actually, um, Rocco Bodelli went there. Uh, Thomas Pannone, who is now with the the, the, Blue, the Blue Jays, Blue Jays. Um, it, huge time athletic programs. My cousin ended up transferring over to Prout. I didn't even never heard of it, so I ended up going. Um, but in his time there, all, all t- the two years out of the four of his high school experience, they went to the state championship. Two of the five years in a row that they had gone to the state championship before I got there. I got there. We missed my freshman, sophomore, and junior, and we were lucky enough to get back there in my, my senior year. Didn't, didn't win it, but um, definitely a great track record at the school for baseball. Dude, so you must have played some serious, so played some serious, serious travel ball to, get on, travel ball to get on that squad. Yeah, um, we we my dad ran an AAU organization, um, which kind of tried to grab the best players from all of the state growing up. And then um, my junior year, uh, we put together kind of a Rhode Island All Star team, and we uh, we traveled uh, around the country and up and down the, the East Coast playing. It looks like you've had a big leg kick and some funk in your delivery since high school. Uh, where did you come up with all of that? Um, that just kind of stemmed from when I was younger, uh, watching guys like Andy Pettit and Dontrell Willis. Um, I've always been a smaller guy, um, so using my lower half to the best I could was um, definitely beneficial for me. Um, maybe even throwing hitters off with timing and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, it came from watching guys with a little bit of flair, a little bit of funk in them, their own deliveries growing up. Um, but but yeah, it was optimizing my body and what I had, and, uh, learning how to use my lower half. So that kind of reminds me of Mackenzie Gore. Yeah. He told us that he wasn't a big guy through high school. He finally grew the last like couple years of high school. But before that, he needed that leg kick to generate the power. So that helped kind of support as he grew up. All of a sudden, the velocity jumped with his size. Did you grow up a Yankee fan? I did. I did grow up a Yankee fan. That's all right. We won't hold that. Okay. We, right. <laughs> we still have a little bit. Those of us who are old enough to remember the 98 Yankees yeah. who swept the Padres in the World Series, we still have oh, yeah. a little bit of uh, resentment. Well, and I'm going to tell the story again because in 98, I was cooking at the hotel uh, downtown chef. Where, yep. where they stay. So most of the major league teams stay at the Hyatt downtown. And uh, 
The Yankees stayed at the Hyatt during the World Series, and they closed down my restaurant. And ironically enough, they won it on Italian night uh, on a Wednesday. <laughs> and uh, they closed down my restaurant and had the World Series party. And I was just I was devastated. It was my team. We'd never go to the World Series. Um, but then after a minute, I'm like, hey, is that the World Series trophy? Oh. You know, and I was like, I was like a baseball fan all over again. So it was uh, – it still hurts, but um, definitely uh, we're okay with you being a Yankee yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah. I was alive, but don't I don't remember. I was born about like two and a half months before it happened, so <laughs> I'm sure my dad was pretty excited about it, though. Oh, he's gonna hear this and go like, yeah, yeah. we'll talk to him about that in spring training. <laughs> oh yeah. So, dude, you're a pretty good hitter in high school. Did you really hit 389 with a on base 894? I guess so. I don't I don't know where you found those stats. I'd love to know, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I swung it in high school. It was it was fun. Um, the league was not as competitive as, as some states in the country. Um, but I got by just by competing and, um, a bunch of my, my buddies and old teammates kind of texted me when I got picked up by a national league team. They were like, Hey, you're going to get to hit again. And I was like, I mean, I don't know about facing guys throwing a hundred plus, but <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, um, they throw a DH in there pretty soon. We don't have to uh, deal with that. You never had a chance to swing it in college at all. Did you know? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I asked every single year um, in our like preseason meetings when I got on the campus. I'd walk right into our hitting coach's office and be like, "Hey, this is the year that you give me some at bats." <laughs> I never, I never really got a chance. Um, I we do. I do still pick up about once a year. Um, we have a hit tracks tournament uh, at the facility, Hops Athletic Performance, um, back home. We uh, support the Tomorrow Fund. Uh, so we get a bunch of guys throughout the state of Rhode Island, uh, New England. We try to get look for high, really good high school guys, college guys, pro guys to come. And it's a, it's a blast. It's Thanksgiving week. Um, so everyone gets together. We do food, pizzas, T-shirts, um, different prizes. And we get together. We have like a, a little tournament. And that's the one time of year that I'll still pick up a bat and swing it and, and compete a little bit. But it's a great cause, and we, we try to raise as much money as we can. So the Tomorrow Fund, what is it? What is it? Uh, what is it? Uh, so it, it goes to uh, Children's Cancer Research. Excellent. Nice. <laughs> so you went to UConn. Um, I heard, I saw somewhere that you were heavily recruited by Bryant and Boston College. Uh, what was the process in selecting UConn? I was. So I was Boston College, Boston College, Boston College, as a typical Rhode Island high school kid would be. Um, typical England kid up until UConn came knocking on the door and I realized how amazing the program was. Um, I, Boston college was like the first school to really give me interest and show me looks my sophomore year. Um, and it was kind of like a brushback thing. Hey, you can come, we'll give you no scholarship and you can be a lefty specialist. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to take a, a shot on myself and develop in a year and see what happens. So, um, yeah, Bryant came knocking uh, at the time. Bryant was a really good program, uh, under coach Owens, uh, and being the Rhode Island team, the powerhouse, everyone knew in our state, uh, how good they were. And that's in my backyard. So it was a quick drive to, to, to Bryant to go over there and, and see the school. But as soon as coach Penders called me and, and coach Mack, uh, got on the phone with me, our pitching coach at, at UConn, uh, I just knew that, uh, it was going to be a perfect fit. I, anytime you, can look to the major leagues and see guys like George Springer um, now being friendly with, with Nick Ahmed, the shortstop of the Arizona Diamondbacks, yeah. Scott Oberg. Uh, we just had a kid get, uh, we just had Anthony K traded from the Blue Jays uh, to the Blue Jays. And it just so happens the pitching coach for the Blue Jays, Pete Walker is a UConn alum. Wow. Uh, so UConn baseball is sprinkled and filtered throughout Major League Baseball and throughout the minor leagues and affiliated ball and affiliated ball. Uh, so to kind of have that connection um, and to to go to the university, it was it was really it was really something special before I even committed to. So to have them calling, uh, I kind of knew that it was where I wanted to be. So when I think of UConn, I, the basketball team is what comes to my mind. You didn't have any aspirations of trying to walk on the basketball team, did you? <laughs> no, definitely not. And honestly, thank God for them because it definitely puts our school on the map. Uh, I got picked up here uh, from the airport and headed over to the complex in Peoria. And the first thing uh, we talked about was women's basketball. Um, and and on it, they deserve it. Coach Gino and, and the women's program does an unbelievable job. I'm actually going to head up to the Phoenix uh, game to see the Chicago Sky play. Just drafted Katie Lou Samuelson 
Um, so they're going to go support a uh, former Husky in a few weeks. But, yeah, UConn basketball, UConn women's basketball especially, uh, it is a staple in Connecticut for well, sure. Well, and just a little insider information. Uh, when you get healthy, uh, Preller, A.J. Preller, our GM, is a big, giant basketball guy. So during spring training, he has uh, he has these pickup games here in San Diego. He has pickup games, but apparently he plays at like four o'clock in the morning. Right. I mean, like even he's like, <laughs> like, like, come on, Fioli, you were you know you went to UConn, you got to have some kind of basketball in your blood. Um, I mean, maybe. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is, is like you you're talking about going to Boston College, Boston College. Um, I know that in Connecticut there are sections like my brother-in-law is a big you know grew up a Mets fan, but moving to Connecticut for work. He became a Boston Red Sox fan, but there's mm-hmm. also in Connecticut. There's a whole section of Connecticut that's that are Yankee fans. So it is split. It is it is the we. It's a weird state. Yeah. Um, it, everyone loves UConn there, but on campus for sure, it's definitely split down the line. Uh, <laughs> it was weird meeting a bunch of Giants fans. I'm a Giants football fan, and okay. uh, then when you go to Dunkin' Donuts, all the cups have the Patriots logo on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's definitely it's definitely split down the middle in uh, in Connecticut in terms of uh, Boston New York kind of rivalry. So you were a starter on the uh, on the national collegiate team. That was pretty that was pretty awesome. You guys played in Cary. How was that experience? That was amazing. Uh, anytime you get the opportunity to wear USA across your chest and basically anything you do, I, I think it's a really special opportunity um, to play with the kids, the people that I played with. Um, obviously, Adley Rushman's the, the biggest name. Andrew Vaughn uh, make really good relationships with players all over the country. But to represent our country uh, overseas against Cuba and uh, against uh, the Chinese Taipei and Japan was absolutely incredible. Uh, to wear that uniform was was special. It's easily the the greatest experience I've ever had playing baseball. Um, it was surreal, and not a day goes by where I'm not extremely thankful to Coach Maneri. Um, from USA Baseball and LSU that uh, he was fortunate enough to call me up and give me an opportunity with the squad. Uh, but it was an incredible summer. I'll, I'll never forget suiting up for USA. and uh, It was just special. Nice. So you said overseas. Where did you travel with the team? We actually played in Cuba. We, we spent about a week and in, in some change in Havana, Cuba, and uh, played at the, the big stadium in the middle of the city. Uh, and that was, that was unbelievable. Uh, going to uh, a country like that um, where there definitely is some history uh, politically and uh, learning the history and seeing old Havana and where the, the revolution and, and Spanish culture and Cuban culture, just the way of life and meeting, meeting new people. It was the first time I've ever been out of the country. So baseball aside, it was an incredible experience that um, I'll never forget. And, that's pretty yeah. cool. My uh, so my my rec league. Actually, we both play in a rec league, and every year we have a contingent of guys of varying ages that go to Cuba, and they play. That's awesome. You know, they play. It's rec ball, and they play in some of the big stadiums, and it's it's a it's a religion over there. I mean, they got it guys is. like I talk, really I've never is. gone. It's a little expensive, but I've had guys go over there. And like, there's guys in their seventies throwing like eighty five, and you know, <laughs> guys in their seventies like hitting four hundred foot bombs, and it's wow. just like. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, there's one, you know, and there they would. I can't remember the story, but there's like this one guy. He's you know a national treasure, and yet he's still playing like rec ball, you know, against USA. And you guys get treated like rock stars, yeah. Yeah, when we go down there, it, they were awesome. Uh, the the Cuban people were incredible to us. Uh, they wanted our gear. They wanted the USA stuff. They wanted to support us. It was crazy. Uh, it, it was different um, than playing here for yeah. sure. But you go down there, and um, they're just happy to be a part of it. They're happy to, to be able to show up to a ballpark every day, and they're just happy to be um, to play baseball. Uh, it's incredible uh, that they're able to do so much with so little um, each and every day. It's it's really so eye opening down there. So real quick, did you guys bring? Did, did you guys have any programs with bringing like used baseball equipment or any used gloves or like any used cleats, kind of stuff like that? Like yeah. That? So at the end of the at the end of the series, um, we had the opportunity to basically empty out the equipment that we didn't want personally. Uh, we would give it to the other the Cubans, yeah. and I, it was crazy because we were playing them and they were using Team USA gear from the year prior. That is bad. Oh, wow. So they're, they're wearing the Cuban national jersey, but they're wearing batting gloves that may have belonged to Seth Beer 
or right. using Tim Kate's gloves, you know, so it's, it was crazy that we were playing against Cuba, but they're using the equipment that our guys were fortunate enough to give them uh, the year prior. So we were lucky enough to do the same thing. I, I took my cleats off and left them in the dugout for whoever was there to grab them. Um, we, we gave them bats, balls, uh, and they were, they were super gracious to give us stuff too. Yeah. They gave us jerseys, they gave us shirts, they gave us anything they could. And, and uh, they were just awesome. And, and the, the, the culture and the people are, are, are really nice. And I think kind of sometimes it gets a bad, um, bad notion and bad understanding of what it, what life is truly like down there. Cause, cause people are still people and uh, a human being is still a human being at the end of the day. And, and they're beautiful. So it's, it's, it was an incredible, incredible place to be. Absolutely. You know, being from California, uh, we have the same kind of mindset out here with, with that. Um, God, I would no. Oberg, that guy is a beast. He is, <laughs> he a, is a beast. Dude. He is a beast. Just Crazy story, hit. too. Just go, Crazy dude, I got to hear the story because the guy is just a beast. Yeah. So he is, I mean, he is as UConn as it gets. <laughs> um, a kid who is definitely not heavily recruited at a high school, gets to campus, just blue collar, get my hands dirty, work harder than anyone else type of person. Uh, there's some crazy stories about injuries that he had to go go through in, in, in college. Yeah. Um, I think there's one story, don't quote me on it, but there's one story about a time where he could barely walk across campus. He was so so hurt, so banged yeah. up. Um, I think he underwent went a few, few major surgeries, um, but his competitiveness and his attitude, you see it now with the Rockies. Um, I mean, man, he's special and we're lucky that he represents our program every day in the major leagues. The craziest story was this year, uh, we're on the plane or going to the airport, uh, back from Oklahoma city after the regional tournament. And, uh, Jacob Wallace, our closer had just had given two unbelievable performances against, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, uh, state in the regional and, and he, his name is blowing up everywhere. He ended up being the hundredth overall pick to the Rockies. Uh, so we're in the airport and all of a sudden he, he bumps into me. He goes, Hey buddy, uh, Scott Oberg just DM me on, on Instagram. And I was like, well, it looks like you're going to be a Rocky. Right. And sure, sure enough, we, we land in, we land in Connecticut, get on the bus and we're about halfway back to stores and we're sitting on the, on the bus I'm sitting next to him and all of a sudden I get the update on my phone cause I'm watching the ticker waiting for him to go off the board and I just nudge him and he looks at his phone and all of a sudden he's getting a call from the, the new England area scout of the Rockies. Uh, he gets drafted by the Rockies and I'm like, I told you, man, they, they told over to, to, <laughs> to slide in your DMS and, Dude, and let you know what's going on. I but it was incredible. It was incredible. I mean, watching him in the playoffs last year, I still, I still get chills. Um, cause obviously we're all getting together to watch the games as a team and, and we're rooting for the UConn guys. Like we watched when we watched Springer win the MVP, it was in, incredible but to watch Oberg, what he's been able to do on yeah. a, on a live national scale in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, he's sitting 99, touching a yeah. hundred, just wipe out sliders. Just, it, it's, it, he's playing around. <laughs> yeah. Well, and all those guys, you know, the Rockies are in. They're not in Glendale. They're they're over there. They're well. They're in the Texas League or uh, Cactus League. So, you get to talk yeah. to those guys by chance. Um, I have I have I, I talked to PJ Poulin a ton. He was an 11th rounder out of out of UConn, All American closer. I talked to Jake Wallace uh, quite a bit. Um, yeah, I think they're both living in Scottsdale when they come back for spring training. Um, so I definitely gonna have to meet up with them. Um. But, yeah, we got a lot of UConn guys scattered around Arizona right now. Carson Cross is a uh, pitching coordinator with the Milwaukee Brewers. Johnny Russell and Pat Rotolo are both farmhands with the San Francisco Giants, two really good UConn closers. Uh, Johnny was an All-American. I had uh, dinner with John right before I went down and got, got my surgery, so that was nice. Um, he bought me a, bought me dinner, so shout-out to him for that. But. Tell them to bring a um, yeah, love seat, like bring a love seat, yeah. and maybe a lazy boy. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> nice to have a lot of familiar faces out here, um, although they're not in the in the San Diego organization. Uh, but to be so close, it's uh, it's really cool. So you were a starter almost exclusively during your three years at UConn. Uh, did you have a starting role? Like when you walked in the door, how how did that work? How did you wind up getting that? 
Um, I definitely knew that I had the opportunity to compete for one. Uh, I knew we had an open Sunday slot. Uh, Anthony Kay had just been picked up um, by the New York Mets in the first round. Uh, Tim Kate, the Saturday guy, slid into uh, the Friday role. He was drafted by the Nationals and is doing awesome in Potomac this year. Um, and Wills Montgomery was our was our sh- surefire Saturday guy. He was a guy that went off the board in the sixth round of the Dodgers um, my freshman year. And so I knew Sunday was open. Um, and fortunate for me, we played a four-game set against uh, UMass Lowell in Port St. Lucie. Uh, and I was lucky enough to earn the third spot in that rotation that weekend. Started against St. Lucie, had a pretty good debut, uh, felt like things went my way. Um, uh, and then Sunday rolls around and Doug Domnarski, who was actually drafted in the 27th round by the Tigers, um, does his thing against uh, UMass on that Sunday. Uh, fast forward the next weekend, we're in Texas playing the Longhorns. And the week coming up, I have to learn how to pitch out of the bullpen. <laughs> so, so I am kicked out of the rotation, even though I think I went like six and a third with like seven K I, I shoved in the first weekend. Nice. I thought I had my spot as a dumb freshman, I guess. Um, but coach Max, like, all right, we got to learn how to throw in the bullpen. They teach me how to get warm quick, how to get hot really fast and how to be ready. Um, we get the Sunday against the Longhorns. Uh, Dougie gets beat up a little bit and I hear my name called. I go in against the Longhorns, um, throw the ball pretty well. And, and earned my starting spot from there. And I, I made, I missed two starts beginning of this season due to my injury. And um, I didn't, I took the ball every weekend uh, other than that. So it was, it was a blast to, to start for UConn. It was fun. Nice. So uh, I hear there's a good story behind how you got the nickname panic. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I got that like, Basically, walking on the campus, uh, I was super eager and super excited to be there. Um, but the level of baseball that I played probably wasn't close to what a lot of the guys that had already been there were playing. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play in the Futures Collegiate Baseball League going into my freshman year. So I already got my feet wet uh, collegially. I played against some really solid D2, D3 guys, um, some D1 guys that didn't really get a ton of playing time the year prior. Um, but going to campus, I was super nervous, super timid. I was a freshman, right. um, and I was super hyper and, and really wanted to compete and really wanted to do well. Uh, and my nerves kind of drove me a little bit too much. And I just really, really, really wanted to impress the coaches. Um, so yeah, there was definitely some moments that I was a bit of a panic, a bit of a spaz on the mound. And it took me really the whole fall and a, and a few weeks of the off season to learn how to how to breathe, uh, how to kind of take a step back. And a lot of that came from uh, like the Alan Jager program of uh, the meditation and the yoga and, um, and and stuff like that. So it was it was about uh, finding that kind of internal mental click that was going to allow me to compete and be athletic and be really fiery and be emotional. But at the same time, uh, stay within myself, be able to take a breath um, in big situations. Or, and it really wasn't it wasn't throwing the baseball to the catcher. It was more so um, the running game and balking and, and fielding my position. Right. Um, so that's stuff that you learn uh, as you grow in the game and as you grow in a, in a really good program um, with really good support around you, as our coaches are. Um, but, yeah, that was something that I had to learn to adjust to. Do you so? Do you still kind of use those practices today with maybe meditation, but the yoga and being athletic and keeping stretching and the kind of the mindset? Yeah, I do. I think it's important. Um, I I've, over the past year, I've actually become pretty good friends with with Alan Jager uh, of Jager Sports, and a lot of the things that we talk about is meditation away from the field, um, being able to have a clear mind and um, to day to day be able to to be quiet. Uh, you have your best games, I think, when your your mind is is quiet and you're the only thing you're worried about is executing each pitch and executing each each um, each action that you make on a baseball field. Uh, it's when we allow drama and outside things into our our zone yeah. uh, that things can kind of derail. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I, we don't, and the the Padres they do have a. 
they call him a mental coach? Like one of those. Like a- uh, sports psychologist kind of yeah thing? we there is a roving sports psychologist uh, for the Padres yeah. organization um have you met him yet or are just i have not i have not so we're 100 percent focused right now on getting healthy well we're um, gonna talk about that physically we're gonna talk about that here in a minute yeah. but did, did you i do hold on did you have more fun on the national team or playing in the cape cod league <sighs> i mean the cape is 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 different so it the Cape for me, my freshman year was learning. It was, it was definitely, I had this really successful freshman year. I, I was, I thought I was on the top of the world and I headed out to Wareham. We played on a gravel field against the best players in the country and you get knocked on your butt. You get knocked back a little bit and it's, and it's tough. It's difficult. It's the first time I had really, truly, completely failed. Felt like I had failed in the first half of my Cape summer was awful. I, I, I hated every second of it. I loved being there. I loved being with the guys and stuff like that. Um, but it wasn't until the second half after the all-star break where I was able to kind of sink my teeth in and, and get used to the level of baseball, even after a long, uh, successful freshman year of college. Um, but the Cape was an unbelievable experience. I can't speak highly enough about the town of Wareham and the community that's built there. It's an incredible place to play in the Cape. It's just right off the Cape. It's the only team that's not actually on the Cape. Um, but to be a part of that league, I was talking about it earlier. Um, there's three leagues in all of baseball that you do not say no to. It's Major League Baseball. <laughs> it's probably the SEC. Yeah. And then it's the Cape Cod League. <laughs> if you have the opportunity to play in the Cape Cod League, you, you just don't say no, regardless of what that opportunity yeah. is. Uh, it's something I'll never forget, and I- I'm lucky to be a part of it. Uh, but at the same time, wearing the the national colors was it was different. Yeah, well, was absolutely, different. absolutely. Yeah. So the Cape Cod League is a wood bat league. Uh, you know, <laughs> you come up playing high school baseball, even college is aluminum bats, and I hear hitters talk about adjusting to wood bats. Uh, what kind of adjustments were there for you going into that league? My goal was to break a bat every time out. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I have always been a big pitch inside guy, big, be aggressive, uh, big Bob Gibson type mindset guy. I want to come at hitters. I want to make them feel uncomfortable. And for me, um, if I could get one a game, I knew I was doing my job and executing and owning that inner, inner part of the part of the plate. Um, especially in college baseball, uh, where the hitters are not as advanced as, as maybe professional. There are a few that pop into mind that are, are very advanced and are definitely make that adjustment really yeah. easily. A lot that I've played with on USA and in the Cape. Um, but for the most part, if you're in a college program, you pitch inside, it opens up a whole new world for you to, to be successful. Um, so, yeah, break a bat. Now, with an aluminum bat, if you're pitching inside and somebody – gets enough of it they can at least flare one out of the infield right yeah no for sure for sure and and there's a lot of great college hitters like that um that use the whole plate have really good bat control um my high school coach was like that he used to talk to me about hitting in in high school and it definitely on a smaller scale but he always talked about guys that hit with their hands he was a smaller guy a 5'8 guy but he would he played a URI all-american URI holds every hitting statistical record there um he would hit based on the flagpole. So if he went to class early in the day, he'd look and see where the wind was blowing and that determined what, the, what type of hitter with the aluminum bat he'd be on that day. So if he could get some flares using the wind, the opposite field, or if he had to yank some balls, use the wind. He was def- he was using the bat in the wind. He was using his resources. So. Uh, Man, that's some next level stuff. Dude, that's some next level stuff. So you studied political science and human rights, uh, double major. Yes. Yep. Do you, you have, have a, a post-baseball career in mind with that? Yeah, I've always wanted to go to law school. Um, I've always had a interest in, in, in that kind of side of things. Um, maybe staying in baseball as maybe a player agent or, or something along those lines would be pretty cool. Um, but at the end of the day, I think I'm going to find myself in a career path that I can really use to help people um, before I can help myself, uh, and that's my plan. Um if baseball works out, if baseball doesn't work out, I'm going to try to put myself in that type of position. So, Okay, so did you graduate? Did you complete your degree? I have not yet. I, I plan okay. on definitely 
completing my degree soon. Because you were um, drafted as a junior. Kind of worked that stuff out. I yep. don't know how some some guys wind up just because of the number of credits they take. They wind up graduating early or something like that. Yeah, I'm I'm super close, and uh, it'll it'll be not easy, but no degree is easy, but it'll be it's definitely achievable. So being drafted as a as a junior. Um, it's part of your your signing deal that they take mm-hmm. care of some of your follow on education. Yes. Uh, does that go beyond just a four year degree, or how does that work? I think the way the MLB does it, they allow you to achieve your four year degree, and then any other schooling afterwards, um, that's kind of on you. Okay. Good. That's tight. I find so, that kind of stuff interesting. You wow. know, this because you don't really get publicized about that. You know, yeah. I no. It's, to... Yeah. It's an awesome question. It's an awesome question. I think. I think college guys especially should be more aware of, of, of that side of it. Um, looking back, honestly, it's awesome to have the, the MLB kind of pick up my, my degree that I will get 100%. I went to college for that reason, yeah. first and foremost, to be a student. Um, and I love being a student. I think college guys, especially high schoolers going in or JUCO guys going in, need to realize – get as much done as you possibly can in your three years under your scholarship, take as many classes as you possibly can, get as much as your degree as you possibly can. If you can finish in three years and you think you're going to get drafted, even if you don't think you're going to get drafted, finish in three years, struggle for those three and, and, and be tired and, and, and don't burn yourself out, but get it done because you got two options. You get drafted your junior year and you don't have to go back to school. And then you can, and, and you can solely focus on baseball or you, you don't get drafted after your three years, but you have your, your BA done and you can go to grad school for your fourth year. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, and you're under scholarship for it. And it's, and it's, it's, it, and it gets paid for and not many people get the opportunity to do that. So optimize the school that you've been given because you're, you can throw or hit a baseball because a lot of times there's some really smart players in college baseball that have grades to go at any school they want to. But most of the time we use baseball to get into the college that we may have not have gotten into right. with just our grades. Right. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a pretty, that's, that's a pretty mature. You should just be a college recruiter. I know. You need to go give that, give that uh, hype statement to people coming out of college. Well, I really like the idea of your political science and human rights. You know, uh, working for what you think of going to law school and working for like the Southern Poverty Law or maybe Amnesty International or something like the UN. That's uh, or something maybe tied in with your faith or. Yeah, I mean, the UN would be pretty cool. Uh, learning about that stuff in high school. I actually had a coach that. Uh, work there for a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly not too sure um, in that that sort of thing, um, but I definitely love to stay in baseball. Um, I, I love this game more than anything. And uh, to be on the opposite side, I think I could help a lot of young guys. Um, and I, I just would love to stay in the game, whether it be as maybe even a coach or in, in the college game, or maybe if I'm fortunate enough to have a long professional career, uh, maybe stay in the professional professional game that'd be cool too but um i'm not sure i, I know I'm, I'm i'm trying to set myself up uh, as best as i can to have options uh but life is is weird and and god also has a plan for me too so i'm, I'm gonna see where that where that takes me well hopefully you don't have to worry about that for the next like 10 years right. if you have a nice yeah i, I agree i'd love career. i'd love to uh get healthy and be in san diego as soon as possible and help uh, us win a world series all right, so tell us about your draft day. How did that all go? Uh, who was with you? How did you find out? Yeah, so draft day is definitely, in my opinion, not the glamorous, luxurious, unbelievable day um, that it seems like in the NBA and the NFL. Uh, everyone wants to think that it's like Zion Williamson and and <laughs> and, and stuff like that. But um, for an 11th round guy, a guy that uh, had some medical issues and got red flagged by uh, all the teams and uh, they knew I was hurt. Um, you spend a long time and, and, and players are lying to you um, and scouts will tell you too in the meetings and all that stuff leading up to the draft. Not a day goes by if you're draft eligible and you have been on draft charts and you've been a prospect and you have met with scouts and you have talked to GMs and you have you, you had an advisor and you've had college coaches and teammates and, and, and friends and family and, and parents and, and, and people in your life that are talking about it. Not a day goes by where you don't think about June 3rd, June 4th, June 5th. Um, so you build scenarios in your mind for a year, maybe more. 
Um, you think about all the poss possibilities, all the probabilities. You read all the articles. Articles get sent to you, and you do your you do your best to try to try to zone it out. Um, but you're really lying to yourself, and you're lying to everyone else if you say you're not thinking about it, um, because it definitely does get in your head. And obviously, um, the best competitors are the ones that are able to focus on the game in the game. And I think that I was able to do that um, through my time at UConn. But at the same time, when you're your head hits the pillow. You think about Omaha, but then you also think about the draft and, and you're lying if you say you don't. Um, so to kind of have that build up for a year and, and play different scenarios in my head, you kind of prepare yourself for every possibility. You prepare yourself to be drafted on day one. You prepare yourself to not get drafted at all, um, to get ready to go back to school. Uh, and then you, you realization kind of hits in and, um, so draft day was crazy. Uh, teams kind of find out, or they probably knew, but I kind of find out that I need Tommy John surgery, um, like a 50-50% chance on the the night before day one. And the, the night before day one of the draft? The night before day one of the draft. So I wow. had gotten the MRI for the top 50 um, program on May 6th after my best start of the year against Wichita State hopped on pitching ninja i'm feeling awesome about myself um i have to go to new york city then the the sunday uh morning or something like that or monday that monday night monday morning i had to go to new york city to uh get my mri at the hospital special surgeries and i had no idea that i had to go to new york city so I'm panicking. I got to book a hotel room. I got to drive up there. So my girlfriend comes with me. We go up to New York City, take her out to dinner or whatever on that Sunday night, um, get an MRI, and everyone's freaking out because I'm on Pigeon Ninja. Everyone's sending me messages. I'm feeling, my arm feels great. Everything's going great. Uh. Get the MRI. MLB calls me. Got to drive four hours back to stores to get a drug test. Um, <laughs> and this is kind of where the chaos kicks in. So I ended up making four or five more starts after that day. Um, wow. feel great start to kind of find a groove again that I hadn't really felt earlier in the year with the consistency and then MLB sends me an email about the MRI results on the 23rd and I thought my arm was fine because I was feeling great so I didn't even open it and so we get to playoffs and we had just played Tulane I had an okay start against Tulane everything felt good uh, stuff was coming out great um, we have Wichita State again, a team that I dominated early on in the year, and they end up dominating me uh, in the first game of the playoffs, um, which which stunk because you're out there trying to compete for your team yeah. in the biggest games of our season, and you feel like you failed everyone. Um, but something just didn't feel right. Um, so then fast forward, we make the regional when team picks me up, we win the game that I pitched. Um, we end up finishing second in the tournament. Uh, we get a regional berth. That was incredible. Being with your teammates is, is an unbelievable feeling. Um, getting hearing your name in the selection show, I'll, I'll never forget those moments. But you were uh, we, and you were feeling good health wise right. through all of that, right? Yeah, I was. I was feeling great. I I, I really can't explain. Um, maybe not as strong as I had in the past, but I definitely wasn't experiencing uh, too much pain. Um, so until that Wichita state, when I came off the mound, I just didn't feel right. Um, doing, even doing my, my post game, like hopped in the gym and I was just frustrated that I didn't pitch well, but just something felt off a little bit. So pitch against Nebraska, um, ended up breaking our school record for strikeouts career in the, in the first inning. Now I'm fired up and teams fired up and we got off to an awesome start in the regional, Next inning, give up a solo jack. Next inning, give up five. <laughs> and oh. and um, um, I get through the next two innings, get pulled because of the pitch count. And I just walk up the clubhouse, and I'm like, there's got to be something going on. Like, my arm does not feel good right now. Um, there, It just doesn't feel strong. And I, I couldn't remember the last time I had given up back-to-back -back starts with five-plus earned, like, ever in my life. And I didn't want to make excuses. Don't, never want to point fingers. Like, that's on me. Um I have to find a way, but at the same time for myself, I'm like, yeah, I, I just, something doesn't feel right. So I'm like, Hey, uh, I just put my head down. Not sure if we're going to get out of the regional because I just put us in a pretty big, uh, 
a pretty big hole. We ended up getting to the regional final final. We were a game away from getting to a super, unfortunately. Um, we just kind of ran out of gas. Um, but that was my last game as a Husky. But on the bus back to the hotel, I ended up opening up that email, um, reading the MRI report, um, finding out that I had basically pitched the entire year with a fully torn UCL. Jesus. Um, Sorry. And, sorry, 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 yeah, sorry. Yeah, wow. yeah, and obviously the draft is in a few days. I call up my advisor. I'm like, hey, I just opened up this email. Sorry to throw this on you, but we got to change our entire plan for the draft. Uh, we got to figure something out uh, because I'm hurt and this can't be good. We know why my production hasn't been what it has been in the past, and um, uh, hopefully we can avoid surgery, but we'll cross the bridge when we get to it. So basically what happened was teams were trying to trying to get me early if they could avoid surgery. If not, um, uh, we were going to wait off and, and kind of be a medical pick, uh, which ended up kind of happening. Um, but it's crazy how it works. It's definitely a business. You learn that. You learn the side of like the negotiation, all that stuff. And um, I'm, I was super thankful that um, the San Diego Padres are the organization that picked me up because it doesn't get much better than – the rehab and um, the doctors and the people in the organization that are 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 there to get people healthy. Um, so I was I was a day three guy. I, I had basically a phone call from all thirty after day two area guys that really had no idea what was going on. Um, the Padres swiped me up pretty early on on day three. I was sitting on the kitchen table uh, with my girlfriend and my mom. My dad wasn't even home, and he was so angry that he wasn't because he was the one texting me like crazy. You got to get home. Got to get home. Like, cause I was in Connecticut. Yeah. Um, like the day before. And so he's not even with me, but I get a text from none other than Jake Wallace. The, the, the same way he found out he lets go. So I don't, I don't know who drafted me at this point. Um, and then I hopped on Twitter and saw that I got picked up by the Padres. So and, Jake, Jake and, Wallace is a teammate of yours that also got selected in the draft. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and honestly, when you see that, that name on the ticker, uh, it doesn't matter what pick, what round, uh, what had happened, what led up to it. Uh, it's a special moment. And it's, it's something, it's a memory that I'll always hold close to me. Um, it was just an incredible feeling uh, knowing that all the work you kind of put in, all the sacrifices you made, um, all the people that supported you finally, uh, you're going to get the opportunity to, uh, go and work towards your dream. Um, and to get to do something that everyone wants to do growing up is to play baseball professionally. Yeah. Uh, so I couldn't be more ecstatic for the opportunity in though draft day, maybe it not have been a perfect picture scenario. And I find out maybe the worst news in my career the night before that I need Tommy John surgery. Um, but probably the best news of my career that I've been given the opportunity to, to uh, or I shouldn't say given, I, that I've earned the opportunity to uh, play professionally was uh, pretty special. So you mentioned something about a top 50 program, and I haven't heard that term before. Is that uh, people that are, that are labeled as potentially going in the top 50 selections or something like that? Yeah, so it's the, it's the MRI program that the MLB has put together in the last few years to protect guys from their signing bonuses being stripped away due to injuries found post-draft MRI, post-draft physical, stuff like that. Um, so what it basically does is that it protects your signing bonus, say, if you've gotten drafted in the top 10 rounds. So if you select to get the MRI, Major League Baseball and all 30 teams now are notified of what's going on in your elbow and your shoulder um, prior to the draft so they can make a better decision based on your health right. rather than a guess and check type of thing. Um, so basically what happens uh, is the top 50 pitchers that the MLB believes are in the draft are asked if they want to sign up for this program. And if you say yes, you get an MRI and they can, you say you save yourself up to 40% of your signing bonus. So they can't take away more than 40% wow. of that signing bonus. Say you go in the first round and your slot is uh, a million bucks. They can't take away the whole thing. Um, and you're protected there. Um, a lot of teams don't take away the whole thing because I, I don't think people are that cold hearted. Um, but obviously it's definitely a business. Uh, I've seen it happen to guys. Anthony Kay, the guy who just got drafted to the Blue Jays, didn't do the program, uh, got drafted with the 31st pick. Uh, slot, I think it was like 
2.2, ended up signing for 1.2. So he lost a million bucks needing uh, Tommy John surgery post draft. Um, and the Mets were kind of able to do that uh, because of, of the failed physical. Uh, well, um, you know, and you got drafted by the Padres. That's just insane that the, um, I've never heard of that before that, you know, you were, you had to have Tommy John surgery and yet you still got drafted and the Padres, this organization, we've got guys, I'm sure, you know, we got guys in, in Arizona right now that are rehabbing yep. Anderson Espinosa, a couple well, other and guys. Cal Quantrill. Yeah, I'm with, I'm with Espinosa every day. And uh, yeah, we're, everyone is working extremely hard to get back on the field because no one wants to be hurt. You've got to get um, into his am, Instagram. Yeah, I am, I am lucky that uh, San Diego was the team that drafted me. I could not be more ecstatic to be a part of this organization. Um, I actually got the opportunity to head down to Baltimore and meet a bunch of the big league club. Uh, I, I talked to Chris Paddock about the recovery process. Nice. We had the same. Uh, I, Dr. Meister did my surgery, so uh, he also did his. Um, and uh, Paddock gave me unbelievable advice on, on the recovery, and it was unbelievable. Uh, uh, got, to, got to talk to A.J. Preller uh, about my situation and about uh, the organization and stuff like that, so that was unbelievable. Um, and I was, I was lucky to have that opportunity. It's something not many 11th rounders get the chance to, to kind of do. Um, so I'm, 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 I feel definitely very welcome to the organization and, um, I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can every single day to get healthy and, and to try to prove that I'm, I'm going to be a big leaguer one day. So how involved was the team in the actual surgery process itself? Did they select your doctor and, and location and all that stuff? So it was definitely kind of a mutual uh, thing. Uh, uh, Mr. Preller had a very good relationship with the doctor uh, that I chose, Dr. Meister, who's the Texas Rangers team doctor from his time in Texas. Um, so I was able to get linked up with him through my agency and through um, through the Padres, which is awesome. Uh, they helped me set up the whole thing, hotel, transportation, everything. I, uh, they made it really easy, really simple for me, and uh, they were really awesome in helping me kickstart uh, getting the surgery. So now, what's the the process between now? Um, like, is there a timeline that gets you between now and when you start throwing again and to get back on a mound and all of that? I know that there's a lot of boxes you need to check on the way. Yeah, so I think because of the kind of the situation my elbow was in, um, really not looking too pretty in the surgery uh it's going to be a little bit slower for me you, do, you uh, say that, do you say that because once they got in there and saw what they were working with that it was yeah worse it was they... it was it was pretty 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 damaged they had a completely torn uh basically off the bone uh the attachment of the mcl which is the part of the ucl that is attached to the ulna um, which is right around like that upper forearm area uh, that kind of connects to the, the hinge part of the bone uh, was fully torn. Uh, I had some edema and some inflammation in my tricep and stuff like that. So they went in and they scoped uh, that type of stuff out and cleaned me out a little bit. Um, but they have done a lot of research, especially Dr. Meister and his group of, of unbelievable doctors. Uh, they've done a lot of research, especially even San Diego. I think, uh, Paddock told me that he came back in 22 months. Um, and obviously we see, you see every time out how he's come back and it's incredible, um, to watch him and, and look up to him. Um, but yeah, I think they're going to be really slow because I think the, the, the slower you come back, uh, the lower the de the increases for, yeah. for future risk and for, for ability. I, I think the slower you come back, the stronger you come back. Um, so each and every day we're going to take our time. We're going to work really hard. Um, but that doesn't mean rush. That doesn't mean go really fast and, and skip steps. Uh, that means do everything properly and, right. and try to come back as, as better than I was when I was, when I was healthy before I got hurt, you know? Okay. So how far post-surgery are you right now? As far as so like I'm days about, or weeks? I'm about 12 days out of, of the procedure. And uh, I, I am in the brace immobilized for three more, for two more weeks. I'm in the brace for eight more weeks or for eight weeks total. And then I probably won't pick up a baseball again or plyo care until uh, eight months. So yeah. how long is it until you start doing like range of motion and strength type of stuff? 
Um, I've been doing like basic hand and wrist stuff. I think each week we kind of add more stuff in. Um, so I'm hoping, uh, they check our range of motion every, every so often, I think like every other day, um, just to see how it feels. Um, I think I'd probably say week three, uh, when I get that brace, uh, unlocked and I can start moving freely again, we'll start kicking it up a little bit more, but, um, my rehab is kind of going to change in this following week, uh, being, um, almost two weeks out. Well, so are you limited? Are you 90 degrees right now? I'm at 90 degrees. Yes. What was that? Who are some of the coaches and staff that have been working with you on the training side of things? So the main um, rehab um, person I'm with is uh, Tanner Fields. Uh, he's been unbelievable. He helped me book the whole surgery, helped me book everything. And um, he's, he's our go-to guy um, for, for the rehab. Um, every step of the process so far, he has been awesome with me. And I can tell that we're really lucky to have him uh, just meeting him in the, the short time that I've known him. Um, so he's the main guy right now. Uh, ben Fritz is the, who is going to be taking me through my throwing program. He's our uh, minor league pitching uh, coordinator for rehab. And, and I'm pretty sure he also does non-injured guys too. Um, but I'm looking forward to working with him once I'm healthy enough too. Um, but right now it's uh, Tanner Fields. And so now you're in you're in uh, Arizona. You're going to be at the complex for the duration of this. How does that work? Yes. So I will be in um, in Peoria until I'm cleared out to 100. percent So wow. I'm I'm out here every day, going to the complex, um, working towards becoming healthy, becoming stronger. And um, yeah, I'm living out in Arizona now, which is pretty cool. It's much warmer here than it is in Rhode Island, but it's um, it's been fun for. For so far, I'm excited for the next few months, next year, I should say. God, you know, just the codependent side of me just wants to go like, okay, so just it's a long process, man. Take your time. It's you're. It's gonna be fine. You, you know, I I just want to. I, I don't know how I can convey that so much. It's just like like you said it before. It gets a day to day process. It's not a sprint. It's not skip days. It's like the tedious work that you do. Is a lot, you know, helps in the long run by not, you know, it, not it skipping is. days and uh, keeping that mental toughness has got to be, got to be tough. But talking to guys like Chris and, uh, you know, Anderson, who's now had it twice, oh, man. we saw, we saw, so we were in spring training this last year and um, we saw his first, like, his first spring training kind of pitching in games. Yeah. And, you know, like he threw pretty, he threw pretty well through. You know, yeah, the threw, velocity was there, the movement was there. You can see the the control was, the command wasn't, but it was his first time facing live batting. Yeah, since his surgery, and it's like you feel so, it's like he's right here, man. In a few months, who knows where he might be? And then to see him get shut down again. But having a guy like Chris Paddock to follow, and you talk about the mental strength of it and the discipline and all of that. There, I can't think of anybody who's stronger in those aspects than him. Yeah, it's it's so evident, and that was kind of the main thing that that uh, Paddock and I talked about was that mental thing, uh, keeping a journal every day on how it's going, and, and writing all the positives out, and writing all the negatives out, and throwing away the negatives. Um, that's one thing he told me to do, and that's one thing that I've been doing. Um, but yeah, it, it is it is a lot mental. It is it is really mental, like anything in our game. It's it's it's, it's big time mental. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 crazy to go through but i think it makes guys stronger mentally um and and to be able to kind of have the opportunity now where okay maybe i can't compete physically um but i can watch a ton of baseball i can learn a lot about the guys around me i'm I'm with big leaguers every day that are on the il um trying to get back to the bigs and get healthy um so that's been cool to to be around that and watch from afar um, and then obviously, uh, seeing Espinosa every day, obviously his name is huge and you know about him. I knew about him for a while before, when, even when, when he was with the Sox. Um, yeah. so to, I'm, I'm actually a locker next to him <laughs> and we haven't talked much, but, um, it's funny because he, he'll sit in my locker sometimes and I'll come to the club, to the clubhouse and have to get like change for rehab and I'll have to be like, Hey, uh, can I get to my locker? He's like, 
Dude, he's always awesome. like, "Oh, my bad." Every day, every day, I do this. <laughs> well, that's so. Let's. Yeah. You wrote a lengthy Instagram post after your signing, um, and it was clear that faith was a driving force in your life. Um, you know, we also came across a, a, a profiling uh, article from the uh, the Daily Campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the Yukon newspaper. Yeah, the commitment yep. to your community yep. and leadership. Can you yep. kind of expound on the foundations and what that means to you? Yeah, it. My faith is is everything. Uh, it's the reason that I play baseball. It's the reason that I I give 110 percent effort in everything I do. Um, I'm uh, fortunate enough to be really close, or not really close, but good friends with with Nick Ahmed, the shortstop for the for the Diamondbacks. Um, I had the opportunity to speak at one of his camps this winter, um, which is an incredible experience about faith uh, in baseball through the FCA, um, the Fellowship Christian Athletics Program. Okay. And I, um, Nick always says to pretty much everyone, uh, find your why. Um, and, and, and he always says my why is uh, to bring glory to God. Uh, and I can I can firmly say that that's that that is also my why. Nice. Um, everything I do, uh, I want to build my platform so I don't have the praise and I don't have the glory, but um, but God can. And um, I really I don't care if people are are afraid of my faith or afraid of quote unquote Jesus freak. Um, like sure, I'll, I'll be that, and and in doing so, I think that's my way to to help other people and and to to really emphasize the the unbelievable things about Christianity that um, that are truly to treat other people the way you want to be treated, and and, and to to treat other people with love and understand that um, that forgiveness and and loving your neighbor and and being a good overall person every single day, uh, being the best version of yourself every single day, and staying away from from things that are going to negatively impact other people or negatively impact yourself. I think those are unbelievable things to live by. And uh, I'm, I'm happy that I'm rooted in my faith. Yeah, there's that, there's no shame. Been, a, there's been no, an open door. Yeah. There's no shame in, in, uh, in you know, being strong in your faith. Uh, I think Craig Stammer on the major league team, he's really big. Uh, I think when we were there in spring training, I, I still believe this. Like he had a couple of ministers out because we were back there doing interviews and, uh, we had a couple of ministers show up, and they were hanging out in the like lunch area over there. By the, um, we set up over where the picnic tables are, but next to the batting cages, in where you guys come out for chow. And, yeah, so uh, there's actually about that. There's actually a program uh, through minor league, through minor league and major league baseball that is like a traveling chapel, and on Sundays they'll come out and they'll give like a non-denominational mass for guys that can't get to to church on Sunday or. Or stuff like that. So yeah, it's because you guys it's, are warming um, up for a game, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, walk, yeah. You, you walk into clack, clack, clack. So clack, we, <laughs> my wife and I joined the booster club at the Lake Elsinore Storm this year, and we were there for the welcome. Awesome. We were there for the welcome dinner, and Travis Radke was one of the pitchers that broke camp uh, yep. with Lake Elsinore this year. Um, and I heard, I overheard him talking to somebody on the management side with the Storm and asking about about chapel services and, and all of that. And that, that stuck. I'm, I'm not personally a, a, a religious person, but I respect other people's beliefs. And when somebody has a devotion and a commitment to something and a relationship with a higher power like that, that's something that I, I respect and I almost envy it in some yeah, ways. Absolutely. So I also understand you have a commitment to community and leadership. Um, and earlier you spoke about a, uh, a, a charity or a cause that, that you support. Um, can you talk about some of the stuff that you've done in the past for the community? Yeah. So UConn gave me an unbelievable opportunity to be involved in that um, anywhere. I mean, even in high school, uh, we were able to be involved with that, whether it was like things like peer ministry that we did work for, for our Brown communities and uh, whether it's the, the Hitchrex tournament that, for the tomorrow fund. Um, but UConn, especially with like different food drives or, or different uh, community service events that we've done. I think the biggest thing, um, and something that changed my life at UConn was working with uh, Grace in Hand. Uh, Team Impact is a organization uh, that lets college uh, programs kind of a kind of sign, uh, quote unquote, a, a person that is uh, basically going to make a wish type of thing, or someone that's struggling through an illness or, or cancer or or whatever it may be um, that kind of needs 
um, their dream or, 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 or a team to be a part of to help them get through uh, a tough time in, in their lives. And I mean, I've had a really good friend also, uh, Nolan Cooney is the punter at Syracuse. Um, he, he was uh, diagnosed with cancer his junior year of high school, was an all-stater in three sports, didn't play football in high school, beat cancer, now is a punter at Syracuse, one of my best friends. And uh, being close to him has kind of showed me like someone's always has to go through more. Mm-hmm. So uh, meeting Grayson, who is a, an absolute unbelievable little kid, person unbelievable family who i'll still always be in contact with through team impact and just through them is their friendship will will continue to grow with with them um that was an incredible opportunity for me and, and i just look forward to to getting into more stuff like that uh, i'm super passionate in uh in using my time to help people um even in smaller ways i don't think charity has to go and be this big out in the open publicized thing um, I, I tweeted something yesterday about uh, there's this there's this common trend that a lot of people that practice faith and, and practice charity um, talk about uh, it being these like superstar stories, these big time anthems like, right, let's let Grandiose let's let our charities. Yeah. yeah, let's let our charities and let our faith be more than anthems. It's one thing to publicize all the great things that you do. And it's great. Like we should be doing that. Like people in big places with big platforms. Yes, you should every single day let everyone know because it inspires more people to go out and help more, more other people. Um, but at the same time, I think it's the little things. I mean, and it can even go as far as, as a teammate teammate relationship or, or, or young kids in the area locally that um, don't have, have any illnesses going on and and just want to learn how to be better people. Absolutely. I mean, it goes down to a, we're all humans. We're all on this planet. We're all going somewhere. I don't know where that is, but we're all going together. And and for for me, it really just, it's like opening a door. It's taking a couple quick steps because I see someone going to the door and opening it for them and having that big smile and just being pleasant with people. Um, It's so you know, in, in in kind of like just riffing on that is like in the world today is just everyone's so important about themselves and exactly no one, and no one really thinks of just we're all going together. Exactly. Be I, nice. Be nice. Exactly. I have an incredible story. Um, if we got time, sure. Uh, my teammate, uh, my two teammates actually, Christian and Kyler Fedko, um, two of the best people I know at UConn. Uh, we were fortunate enough to start a Bible study through UConn for UConn athletics. Um, with, we had a, a ton of people every week and we would get together and we would try to find different ways that we can impact the community or, or help other people. Um, we, we would go to visit kids with, uh, with cancer. We had one kid uh, named Cole, um, who is just about to go through, uh, through chemo and his process. And our teammate, Andy Haig drove us all up to uh, his house. We played basketball with him to, did stuff like that. But the biggest thing about those two kids, they're, they're both playing in the Cape Cod baseball league right now. And something I learned from them, their father would drive us, drive everywhere on the road. Now at UConn, we traveled all over the place yeah. from weekend to weekend. We were in a new spot. We were in New Orleans and Memphis, Cincinnati, in Utah. Like, we're all over the place. And he's going everywhere to Texas. He's driving his car from Philadelphia or Pittsburgh to Texas, then back to Pittsburgh to stores to Florida. He's going all over the place. And every city we went to, we would go to Mass. But he would try to find a church in a not-so-great area, and he would scope out all the people that were on the streets, clearly didn't have a home, didn't have food, didn't have money, didn't have water. And I swear I've never seen someone more um, passionate about this in my life we would go to mass. He would drop us off. He would go right to the grocery store. He would buy enough groceries to fill a shopping cart sometimes. And he'd go and he'd give them out to all the people that didn't have enough. Wow. And it, it was something that he doesn't even know that I, that I, if he hears this, God bless him. If he doesn't, he knows that he was important in my life, but um, I, we never talked about it, but that small thing, I mean, it mm. seems huge, but it really truly is a small thing to do. Um, and just treating everyone with love and respect, I think, is super important. And, and that, I think, is just an unbelievable example of something I've just witnessed, got the opportunity to witness because of baseball. 
um, and because of the, the situation I was placed in, you know, so, um, yeah, like you said, it, it is so small and charity ha- charity can, can, can be so minuscule, yeah. but can have such great impact. Yeah. Yeah. I find it interesting what you were saying about team impact and supporting people that are going through tough times and need help. And now you find yourself in a spot where you're you're relying on some support from other people now granted you're in a a bit of a position of advantage you're a professional baseball player but still you're going to go through a whole emotional roller coaster the next couple years and i hear i've never walked that path but i hear it's tough but you've got guys around you that can support you and help you in a similar way and now you'll have that experience and be able to pass on that for some you know next year when some guys go into tommy john year in spring training like look i've been there much like Chris Paddock, they're just passing on that experience and yeah. and helping people oh, yeah. along. I think is huge. Well, Mason, dude, I've got about four percent of my phone left. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Um, we really appreciate you coming on, man. We can't wait to meet you in spring training. We'll definitely be in spring training this year. Uh, we're going to follow your progress. Um, we'll follow your progress regardless, but we'll figure out ways to find out how you're doing, what's going on, and definitely love to talk to you once we get to spring training again, and maybe even before that. Um, in the off season, so, to see where you're at. We believe that we have some powers in in the the good luck realm. <laughs> it seems like the people that we've talked to, that we've interviewed, wind up going on to later it's, success. Last year, we talked to Nick Margaviches. When we honestly, we didn't think we that he would, you know, maybe down the road he'd make a start, maybe in the big leagues, and then next spring he's there <laughs> on the big stage. So hopefully, awesome. some of our podcast mojo has bestowed upon you, and you uh, you have a nice, healthy recovery, and we get to see you back on the mound before it's too long. Thank you very much, guys. It sounds great to me. It really does. And um, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I appreciate talking, and we'll keep in touch for sure. So thank you very much for having me. And, oh, um, I'm excited to, to be in the organization and get going. All, All right. right. Thank you.